Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our new series, Modern Parables, we're going to be taking Jesus' parables and transposing them into a modern setting. Each week, we will read a parable or narrative from Jesus' life in the Gospels, and then I will tell you a story. These stories will be fiction, just like those that Jesus told. The goal is for you to listen to the story and then draw meaning out of the story in the same way that Jesus expected his audience to draw meaning out of his parables. I hope you enjoy. Our second scripture reading today is the second person that, or the second group that Jesus calls is the call of Levi, a tax collector. It says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house, and there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others sitting at the table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we continue today with our sermon series, Modern Parables, and for those of you who have been here for the last month and a half or so, we've been taking a parable that Jesus told, and then we've been transposing it into a modern setting. And these stories that I'm telling you, they are fictional, they are based in real people and real events, but I'm changing things around to fit with the narrative of the story that Jesus was telling Throughout Lent, though, which is what we're in right now, I'm going to be taking stories, narratives from Jesus' life, and then I'm going to transpose those into a modern setting. So each week, like today, I will tell you a story. I'm not going to tell you what that story means at the end of it. You simply have to take away whatever meaning you get from it is what you get. And hopefully you'll compare it to the narrative, and that will help illuminate some of the meaning for you as to what the story is about. You may have noticed every week when we start our modern parables that we have this interesting graphic up here. Have you noticed that before? Okay. I'm sure some of you are wondering, what is that all about? Well, if you are here, I just want to let you know that this actually has to do with the Easter sermon for this year. And so when you come on Easter, I expect all of you to be here and smile on your face, uh, you will understand what this little graphic here is all about that I think really encompasses what our modern parables are going for. So, just a little little teaser for the end of Lent when we go through the cross and to Easter. So, today, our story starts in 2012 in the small little town of Jian, China. Jian is notable for no other reason than it is found on the Yalu River. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the Yalu River, it is the natural barrier that separates China from North Korea. Because those people who live in North Korea live under such oppressive circumstances, many of them are trying to flee from North Korea, to get out, because they don't want to be under the situation that is imposed on them by their dictator, Kim Jong-un. And because of this, the North Korean army must tirelessly monitor the banks of the Yalu River to prevent people from fleeing and going across the river into China. 
Now, Jeanne is one of many little small towns that dot this river. And what happens is, is that when people get to the other side, they will often congregate in these towns. You see, for the last 20 years, Christians through churches have been trying to help North Koreans get out of their situation and flee in to East Asia. And when they began doing this, initially, many of them thought, well, the easiest way to go is to go south into South Korea, right? They're Koreans, they speak Korean, you go south. But the border between North and South Korea is so heavily guarded and so well-armed on both sides that trying to cross there would result in you getting shot. So they figured, hey, let's go north to the Yalu River. And that is where they focused most of their attention. Now, getting across the Yalu River is not exactly very easy to do. Because it's not like you can just, oh, there's the bank, and I can swim across, and I'm done. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is, is that North Korea has created an electrified barbed wire fence all the way across this in most places. And so you can try to get across if you can get through the barbed wire fence, and if you can avoid the soldiers who are there to monitor and make sure that you don't go across. And some people can do this. But the reality is, is that that's not the best way to go, because if you do that on your own, once you're on the other side in China, you're truly on your own. Most people prefer to use smugglers, people who can get them to the other side and who have a network of friends that will help them get from China in to East Asia. And so many of the people who do this, like the man who we're going to talk about today, the man who we're going to focus on, his name is Min Sung. And Min Sung, he chose to use a smuggler to get him in to China. Now, the way that the smugglers do this is that they tend to have relationships with the guards and the soldiers who look between the bridges that connect North Korea with China. You see, China is North Korea's primary trade partner. And so there are ways to get in and across. So if you pay off those guards and those soldiers, and you let them on each side, you give them money, when they search the trucks that are going between, because these smugglers, they often pose as truck drivers carrying goods from one country to the next, they will know which barrels not to look in. And so, Min Sung, he was located at the bottom of a barrel of girls' dolls. And there was a false bottom right in here where he was crouched up and inside of that. But once Min Sung is in China, it's not like he's on friendly territory. You see, North Korea has a pact with China. And if they find anyone from North Korea who has escaped, they are to immediately deport them and send them back to North Korea. And it's not like once you go back to North Korea, they're like, oh, it's great to see you. Why don't you head back to your family? It doesn't work that way. They actually end up sending you to what is known as the gulag, which are work camps where prisoners are worked to death. It's very much like the concentration camps from Nazi Germany, except they exist in this day and in this time. So if you're going to choose to escape from North Korea, you need to realize that you're putting yourself in a very dangerous situation. So when Min Sung, when he gets to the other side of the river, the smuggler takes him to this toy shop located in the town of Jian, which is where we began 
our story today. And so the toy shop owner, he takes the barrel, gets it off of the truck, and puts it down. Now, this toy shop owner, he is part of this large Christian underground railroad that helps North Koreans get into places like Burma, Laos, Thailand, Vietnam. And so he helps these people, once they get to where he is, make their way down. And so he unpacks the barrel, he starts getting all of the dolls out of it, and then he removes the false bottom, and there on the inside is Min Sung. Now Min Sung, he's 27 years old, but he looks like he's 15 from malnutrition. He's a little bit over five feet tall, and he weighs about 87 pounds. Min Sung, he comes from an area of North Korea called the Kangwon province, and his father was a farmer, like many people in Kangwon. And what you have to understand about North Korea is that because it's a closed society, they do not have access to modern agricultural techniques, meaning they don't have machines to help them do a lot of their farming. And so many of the farmers, they depend on animals to do most of their farming. But this was not Mensung's father's way because he couldn't afford animals. So they had to do everything by hand. They went out and they would till the ground by hand. They would plant the seed by hand. And they would reap everything by hand. And because they live in a communist society, they had to take all of that food and they had to give it over to be sold on the national market. So even though they were the ones who went through all of the hard labor of growing all of that food, they did not get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Instead, every month they were given a small paycheck with which they could go out and purchase a small portion of the food they had worked so hard to grow. It had been a long time since Min Sung could remember when he didn't feel the pangs of hunger in his stomach. At the age of 27, on his 27th birthday, his father came to him and he said, look, I've been saving money since your birth to smuggle you out of this country, and now I have enough, and it's time. So a little bit before Christmas, you're going to meet up with the smuggler, and he's going to take you out. And so the smuggler, he meets with Min Sung, he says, you're going to get at the bottom of this barrel. It's going to take us three days to get you from here into China, and he gave him three pieces of fruit to deal with all of that time. By the time they got to the toy shop, and the toy shop owner had taken out the false bottom. Min Sung was delirious with hunger. So they took him upstairs to the apartment that was over top of the toy shop, and they set him down at the table and gave him a warm meal, which he just devoured. He was famished. And then they took him into the back bedroom, and they went into the closet, and in the closet was a false wall, and they moved the false wall, and it led into another bedroom. And that is where he was going to be spending his time. And it was there that he met his roommate, a man by the name of Nam Lee, another refugee from North Korea. Now Nam, he had once seen a pirated copy of a Bruce Lee movie. And because they had the last name, they went by the name Bruce. So he liked to be called Bruce. So the first thing that Min Sung noticed about Bruce is that he looked healthy. He weighed about 140 150 pounds. The second thing that he noticed about Bruce is that he always had a smile on his face, that he greeted Min Sung with the warm exuberance of a friend. And after the introductions had taken place, Bruce said to the toy shop owner, Sheshe, which means thank you in Chinese, and the toy shop owner left. And 
Bruce, he started asking questions of men. And he said, were you able to sleep at the bottom of the barrel? Men Sung said, no, I was not. He said, okay, first order of business is you have to get some sleep, get some rest. Then we're going to talk about the plan, what we're going to do to go in to East Asia. So men gets on the bed, he goes to sleep, and 14 hours later he wakes up and he looks over and he sees Bruce sitting there in the chair and he's reading a comic book. And Bruce says, all right, let's go in the kitchen. We need to get you some food. You need to bulk up. So they go into the kitchen and there waiting for him is a bowl of rice with steak mixed in it. It had been years since Min Sung had had any kind of meat, let alone steak. And so this was a really, really big treat. And he starts eating it and it tasted amazing. And as he was consuming this food, he heard the plan. Over the next two months, they were going to stay there in that apartment. And Min was going to gain weight. One of the most obvious signs that a person is coming from North Korea is the fact that they look malnourished. Through the next two months, they were also going to learn how to speak some basic Mandarin. They were going to be posing as South Korean tourists. And South Koreans tend to be very educated people. I don't know if you've heard anything about their education system, but it's quite good. And so they tend to know Mandarin. So when they go to China, they can usually be conversant. So another sign that you are not from South Korea is that you are uneducated. North Koreans tend not to have a very good education. So they were going to get them conversant in Mandarin so that if they got questioned by the authorities, nobody would think that they were suspicious. Thankfully, the toy shop owner's daughter, she spoke both Mandarin and Korean and could help them learn. Their goal was to make the trip all the way from Jian down through China into Vietnam where they would be taken in by a church and this church would give them a new life. It would be easy to make this trip if they could just get on a plane and fly or if they could get in a car because it was more than 3,000 miles to get there. But they couldn't just do that because they had to worry about being intercepted by the police along the way. And there's lots of different authorities. So sometimes they could drive. Other times they might have to take a boat down a river. Sometimes they would just have to walk to their destination. Ultimately, it would take them about six months to make this trip all the way from where they were now in GN, all the way down in to Vietnam. Min and Bruce, they were going to be partners in this little adventure getting to Vietnam. And as Min started to eat over this next two-month period, he started to gain weight, and he was concerned. He hadn't been a very good student when he was in school, and he wondered, can I learn the Mandarin that I need to know? And what he found was is that with the proper nutrition, he actually could learn pretty well. And he found that he had a knack for languages, and he picked it up very quickly. He also found that he had a lot in common with Bruce. Bruce really liked music, and so did men. And so they found that they had this in common, and they both said, you know what, when we get to Vietnam, we're going to learn how to play an instrument. They also talked about their love of cartoons and comics. One of their few pleasures as children had been watching cartoons. It was one of the few ways that they were able to mentally escape from the hardships of North Korean life. And so they talked about how what they wanted to do was when they got to, North, or when they got to Vietnam that they were going to try to produce these cartoons. They wanted to get into that business because they wanted to give children a better childhood than they had had growing up. 
At the end of the two-month period, men weighed about 115 pounds, and they said, okay, it's time to get going. So they gave them a shave, a haircut. They gave them new clothes, fake papers that said they were from South Korea, and they started going. And their first stop was only 10 miles away from the town of Jian. And this is what it would be like. It would be jumping from safe house to safe house. Sometimes they could go 100 miles in a day. Other times they might only be able to jump from one safe house to the next in the same town. It just all depended on the movement of the authorities and what was happening. Sometimes they'd be in rural areas and stay with farmers. Other times they might be in an underground church and stay with a pastor. Sometimes they would be with business owners. A lot of times they would be with students, Chinese students. And sometimes they would be with American students who were studying abroad. All of these people were part of this underground Christian network. There was a lot of close calls along the way as well. When they were going through, they were about halfway, and they were in the city of Nanping. And they were walking towards a bridge, and they were going to cross over this bridge, and a police officer came up to them and was going to question them. And so their liaison whipped out a camera and took a photo of them like they were doing tourist activities. And thankfully, the police officer thought better of questioning them further. On another occasion, they were in a taxi, and they had miscommunicated with the taxi. And the taxi dropped them off at what they thought was an apartment building where their next safe house was. Instead, they found that they walked into a police, a police department right there in the building. And thankfully, they were able to talk their way out of it. Men was so good at his Mandarin that they could get out of there without raising any suspicion. So after about 40 safe houses and six months of time, they had made their way all the way around down towards Vietnam. And they were now on the last leg. The next day, they were going to make their way across the border in to Vietnam. That evening, they were staying in the attic of a barn. And a few hours in the morning, they were going to go, and they were going to start making their way in in dark. But at 1 o'clock in the morning, Bruce heard men. He was rustling around on his bed. And... Bruce, he turned over and he said, what are you doing? And men, he was shuffling in his backpack and he turned around and he was brandishing a knife. And this knife was pointed directly at Bruce. And Bruce was obviously a little taken aback by this and he could see that there was a lot of fear in men's eyes. And so he said, why are you pointing a knife at me? I'm not going to hurt you. And men said, I have to take you with me. And Bruce, he didn't entirely understand what he's talking about. He said, you don't have to take me anywhere. Tomorrow, we're going to go in to Vietnam. We're going to be there together. We've, we've made it. We're at the end. And he goes, no, no. Men says, I have to take you with me back to North Korea. And Bruce, he almost stumbled back at the thought of going back to North Korea. He goes, well, I don't understand. What are you talking about? I mean, we've spent all this time, the last six months, we've been working our way to get away from North Korea, and now you want to go back? And Min says, no, I don't want to go back. I have to go back with you. I'm a spy from the army. 
and I've been sent to infiltrate all the safe houses in this network so that the Chinese government can shut down this underground railroad. So I need to bring you back with me. I lied to you. My father, he didn't pay all that money to get me out. I've been training for this for a long time, and that's why I know Mandarin so well. And Bruce, he's looking at men, and he can hardly believe what he's hearing. And he says, so after all this time, you're going to turn on your friend? You're going to turn me in? You know what's going to happen to me when you send me back there. You know what they're going to do to me. And men, he says, I didn't want to do any of this. They told me that if I didn't do this, that they would take my entire family and they would imprison them in the camps. You're the best friend I've ever had, and I don't want to turn you in. I don't want to have all these people who have helped us, these wonderful people, get arrested. But if I don't do this, if I don't take you with me, if I don't take you back and tell them all the information I have about the safe houses and where they're located, then they're going to take my family, they're going to put them in the gulag, and they're going to be worked to death. So I don't know what to do. And at this, men, he put the knife down and he just started to sob. He didn't know what to do. And Bruce, he came over and he sat down next to him and he put his arm around him. And he said, do you remember that cartoon we used to watch when we were a kid? The one with the bear and the rabbit? and how they always used to say, friends always stick together. He said, that's what we're going to do. He goes, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you behind. I'm going to help you. And so Bruce sat there for a minute, and he started thinking. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow morning, we're going to go, and you're going to turn me in to the authorities. And we're going to go back to North Korea. But under no circumstances can you tell them anything about the safe houses. If you compromise this network, then you're going to be hurting a lot more people than just your family. Nobody's going to be able to get out of North Korea, and every single person in this network is going to go to prison. So what this means is, you and I, we're going to the gulag together. But that's what true friendship is all about. We're going to suffer so that others might be free. So the next morning, they get up and they go to the local town before the liaison can meet them to take them into Vietnam. And men turns Bruce over to the local magistrate. They are placed on a plane and they are sent back to Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea. Bruce is immediately taken and placed in the camps, and men is questioned. And he says, you know, I can't remember where the safe houses were. It all went so fast. We were going from one place to the next. I just don't remember geographically where anything was. It just was too much. And of course, they didn't like that answer at all. And so, just as Bruce had said, they took men and they placed him in the camps alongside Bruce. And eventually, some of the smugglers, remember the smugglers, they're all friends with these soldiers, they heard about this story. It had gotten back to them about what Bruce and men had done in the face of really, really difficult and horrific circumstances. And that story, it got back to the 
toy shop owner in Jian, and it spread throughout the entire network. And eventually, that liaison who had taken a photo of them at the bridge in Pyongyang, and he took that photo there, and they sent it out to the entire network. And they wanted everybody to have a copy of that photo so that they might always be reminded of what they had sacrificed and what the true meaning of friendship really is. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.